This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Brothers and sisters in Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, who has united us yet again after having finished the month of Ramadan, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have accepted our worship and make us among those whom He has accepted and saved us from the fire, forgiven our sins and to have mercy on those whom He has taken in that month. Surely those who die fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the month of Ramadan, the Prophet sallallahu said that they go to Jannah. My brothers and sisters in Islam, today I will continue from where I left off before Ramadan, insha'Allah, on the life story of the Prophet sallallahu the biography, the seerah, seerah. And where I left off was after the death of the Prophet sallallahu uncle Abu Talib who was protecting him up to this point. It was in the 10th year of prophethood. Shortly after, his beloved wife Khadija radiallahu anha died. And he was extremely saddened for their loss. I think it was Ibn Abbas who said, and a number of other companions, that the Prophet stayed for six months not speaking too much because he was saddened for the loss of his wife Khadija bint Khuwalid. Once, to illustrate how much he loved her and never forgot about her, later on, years later, when the Prophet ﷺ was close to 60 years old, he had married Aisha by that time. And she says, the Prophet ﷺ never stopped remembering his wife Khadija. Even after all these years. And I used to say things that are not so pleasant, but not too rude. And the Prophet used to brush it off. Except for one time, I went a little bit too far. I have to admit, she said, I was a little jealous of her. That he remembers her even after her death, and I'm in front of him. So one day she said, I found the Prophet 
one day speaking to a very old woman, close to her 70s. And it looked like he was talking just social talk. And he was smiling. And she was smiling and laughing. So after, she fin after he finished, I got jealous and asked him, Woman tilka al-ajuz. Who is that old woman? In Arabic, she emphasized the word old because Aisha is younger. And the Prophet said to her, Oh, she used to be one of the friends of Khadija when she used to live. Okay. Brothers, anyone who's parked outside, you're blocking the brother. See, you, the youth, oh. Anyone who's driving a Hilux youth, he's blocked someone to be trying to get out. Please. No worries, okay. this, is, this is how life is. Alhamdulillah. We, we, um, things like this do happen. My brothers and sisters in Islam. So she said, he told her she was one of the friends of Khadija when she was living. And Aisha Ghalana became even more irritated by that. <laughs> she said he's even valuing and making time for women who used to be her friends. <laughs> so she said, I said a statement I should have said. I said, Alam khayran minha. Didn't Allah give you someone better than her? Moi? <laughs> Me. That's what she means. The Prophet smile vanished. Oh, by the way, I forgot to say that he also said to her, when I was talking to that old woman, one of her friends, <laughs> We were talking, reminiscing about the good old days. The ones that passed. We're talking about her time. You know, remember when this happened, remember when that happened. <laughs> so Aisha Dhanah said those words. The Prophet ﷺ smiled and away, and he said to her, لا والله لم يبدلني الله خيرا منها Allah has not given me anyone better than her. She gave me shelter when nobody else did, when I had no home. She shared, shared her wealth with me. I didn't have any wealth. She believed me when everybody else disbelieved in me. And Allah gave me children from her too. Now that's just to teach Aisha a little lesson. Not to repeat these words again. Because Aisha didn't have, couldn't have children. So he, he added that just to teach her to remember. So Aisha she didn't do any of that stuff. She couldn't do any of that stuff. And she said, Ask Allah to forgive me, Ya Rasulullah. I will never say that ever again. She said, After that day, I never said a word about Khadija. I want to make a little note here. This does not give an excuse for anybody to say, Well, if the Prophet's wives were like that, then we're okay to go ahead and be rude or whatever. 
What people don't understand is that when the Prophet's wives made a mistake, it was only really once. And they never repeated it again. Even the men can't do that. So challenge yourself that way. How many times would you repeat your mistake deliberately? They only did it once. Once they were admonished, that's it. Once. Each mistake once. My brothers and sisters in Islam, so we move on now. This year, which the Prophet's uncle and Khadija died in, straight after the boycott. Remember the boycott we spoke about? When the Quraysh people, the people of Mecca, boycotted the Prophet and his family, and then added to that Banu Hisham, who was his entire clan, just to put pressure on his entire tribe. It's like a fitna to cause his tribe to hate him for it. But Abu Talib supported him that time, and that's the only reason why his tribe, Banu Hashim, took part. And they were isolated for two years, not allowed to eat from their food or share with their trades or marry from their women or visit from them or socialize with them or anything at all. They were basically as if they don't exist. Two years, and when the boycott was released, just as they received the relief, the Prophet's uncle, who was protecting him for this past 10 years. If it wasn't for his uncle, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sending his uncle as his protection, the Prophet would have been killed. He was protecting. And now that his uncle is gone, that's it. No one can protect him. Because in those days, that's how you survive. You have to belong to a clan and the chief of the clan protects you. His own tribe is against the Prophet ﷺ. The only reason, as I said, was because of Abu Talib's existence. He's dead. Now there is no one to protect the Prophet ﷺ. He's open now. His wife Khadija, who gives him company and helps him morally and psychologically and emotionally, gone. So he doesn't have a wife, no wife. He did never married another woman at the time of Khadi- while he was married to Khadija. So he had no wife. His children were all married, they were girls. They, they were Muslims, their husbands were Muslims, but they were weak. There's only a few Muslims around, and they were in secret. If they were to be exposed, then they'll also be in trouble. The Prophet's home is at risk. They can attack at any time. His wealth, they can take at any time. So he was at risk in every shape and form. He is among his own people, yet he's basically an outsider, a stranger. Where's he going to go? Remember, the Arabs had to be protected by belonging to your tribe. Where's he going to go? If he goes out of there, there's no other tribe which he belongs to. No one is going to take that risk of protecting him. So they called it Aam al the year of sorrow. Till today, it's called the year of sorrow. So. When he found himself unable to live in his own hometown, Mecca, his heart was attached to Mecca. He stayed to the last minute, 10 years, 
doing everything he can not to leave. He could have gone to Abyssinia. He could have gone to Ethiopia like the rest. But why didn't he? Because the Prophet's heart is connected to his home. What does this tell us from a fiqh perspective? There is nothing wrong with a Muslim living in a non-Muslim country, like what we're doing here, if they afford you the right to your faith. If your heart is attached to your homeland, you can stay there. And you've got to try your best because Muslims, what are we? We haven't been sent to just sit in our homes. We have been sent with a mission as well. And that is da'wah. That is da'wah. All the prophets weren't allowed to leave their people and their homeland until Allah gave them permission and most of them only had to stay there and die there. Nuh salam's wife was affected, she became a kafir, so did his son. Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not give him permission to leave. Yunus salam left and he got punished for it. He had to return. When a state becomes bad enough that you are oppressed and persecuted because of your religion, you can't practice your religion, then if you can find another place that gives you safe haven to practice your deen, then you go. But at the moment, where are we? We can't. And at the same time, we are afforded to practice our religion. We are afforded that. So we have a mission, inshallah. We have to teach, show our deen, be confident about it. Allah didn't put us here for no reason. There is a purpose, inshallah. My brothers and sisters in Islam, Rasul Sallallahu stayed there for 10 years. But when he saw that his life was at risk, it's life or death situation now, he painstakingly had to think of another place to go to just to be protected. That's all it was. It was a matter of life and death. So he looked for the closest place to Mecca that is very close in relationship and very similar style and lifestyle to what he had. So the closest place was a place called At-Taif. What is it called? At-Taif. At-Taif is a very green place. It has greenery. It has fruits and vegetation that grows nowhere else in all of the Ara Arabia except in At-Taif. There are fruits and vegetations there that you can't find in Mecca or Medina or anywhere else. And even till today, it's considered a place of tourism for a lot of the Arabs. They go there in the summer, they sit there, and it's a really nice, beautiful place, a resort. In there, there was a tribe called Banu Thaqif. This tribe, Banu Thaqif, was very close in pride and importance as the people of Mecca, as, as Quraysh. They were very important, they were very valuable. And they had a god which they worshipped, their ultimate god was called Alat. It was a love-hate relationship. Even someone there had married the distant uncle or auntie, sorry, of the Prophet in a Taif. So there was some relationship even between them. So he thought, maybe I can go there and these people will welcome me or at least give me some safe haven. So he went to a Taif. When he reached there, he had sent news with uh, someone to 
meet with three particular brothers that were chieftains of that place. They had a say. And they agreed to meet him. So when he got there, he met with them and he spoke to them about his mission as a prophet. He gave them a little bit of da'wah, not too much, and told them, you're free to accept or refuse. What did they do? They had heard about his situation and instead of welcoming him, they were the most vile and bitter to the Prophet This is all in the same year of his sorrow. Calamities upon calamities. They said foul words to him. The first one said, Well, if you're a messenger of God, I might as well rip the curtains of the Kaaba off it. Sarcastically, he says, I don't have any belief there. I won't accept you. The second one says, Out of all people, couldn't Allah choose anyone else but you? The third one said, if you are a, truly a prophet, then you are too holy for me to talk to you. And if you are not a prophet, then my dignity is too high then for you to talk to me. Just sarcastic, stupid words. So the Prophet ﷺ felt, okay, this is another threat. He's, he's in trouble over there too. So the best thing he said to them was, look, if you're not going to accept, then I ask you for one thing. Please do not tell Quraysh that I came here. And they respected that. Said, okay. And truly, they didn't tell Quraysh that he had gone there. Who was he there with? He took only one man with him. His then adopted son, Zayd ibn Harith. And he chose to walk there. He did not choose to go on a horse or a camel. It's a strategy because then he didn't, he didn't want people to know. He didn't want to, you know, make it public. He went in private. It takes you about... <clears throat> One and a half hours in a car to reach from Mecca to At-Taif. But it took them about a day or a day and a half to reach there, walking. Deserts and hills and valleys. Also that the Prophet ﷺ is not known to have traveled. A Muslim relies on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But this doesn't mean that you don't also put the effort, take precautions, as the man who came to, I think it was Omar or Ali I'm not sure, in their time, he left his camel untied outside the masjid. And the Imam said to him, either Ali or Omar, or was it Abdullah ibn Omar, I think, Abdullah ibn Omar, he said to him, tie your camel, it'll run away. He said, I've left it to Allah, I rely on Allah. This man had a different understanding of tawakkul. So he said to him the famous statement that was still used till today, and it's also used in fiqh. Tie your camel, and then rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Tie your camel, and then rely on Allah. And just on an interesting tangent, you know that piece of... Uh, that little thing they wear on top, you see the Arabs wearing it on top to keep their um, cloth on their head. The, not the turban. It's like a thin piece of rope that goes around. It's called a aqal, aqal in, in, in uh, the Khaliji language. So aqal means 
the tying thing. What they used to do was that um, their camels, let's say they're in the desert and there's nothing for them to tie their camels on. They've got no tree or no rock. Let's say they're in the middle of the desert and they happen to want to sleep. So how do they keep their camels there from running away? They'd get them to kneel down. They take that eqal, that round circular thing, and they put it in the knee of the camel. So the, knee can't, the camel can't get up to run away. It's called the eqal, which means that which ties the camel. See, you put it on the knee of the camel when he's bending, and then when he comes to get up, he can't bend his legs straight. It's called the eqal. That's, that's the whole idea why they wear it on their heads. If you see it now, it's just a tradition. Anyway, tie your camel, then rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what happened next is the Prophet ﷺ was refused and rejected. He gave some da'wah. He gave some da'wah to the people in the market. It seemed like some people were accepting Islam, but the majority of them weren't. Especially the chieftains. They wanted to stop this. And so they got scared and they wanted to cause a big problem for the Prophet ﷺ. Yes, they didn't tell Quraysh, but they went into the city and they started to round up thugs and louts and people, children, women, men, all these people who like to make trouble. They convinced the children to come up and the women and those thuggish men, all with rocks. They trapped the Prophet ﷺ and Zayd in the middle between two rows, one on each side, so that the Prophet ﷺ can't run away. If he goes right, he's stuck. goes left, he's stuck. Bullies, you know, it's the worst of situations. And you had kids and women and men throwing rocks at them and being vile to them. Zayd radiallahu tried to protect the Prophet but he was smashed everywhere. It's blood from head to toe. And the Prophet's blood seeped from all parts of his body until it reached his toes. His blood was between his toes and, and in his leg. Severely injured, So far, a boycott. Uncle dies. Wife dies. No home. No money. No family. Nowhere to go. And his life is at risk. No protection. Only the clothes he is wearing. No mount. No horse, no camel, nothing, no food. Can't get any worse than that for a person. It was so bad that Aisha radiallahu anha later on, she, wasn't, she didn't live at the time of the Ta'if when this happened. So she just asked the Prophet once, has there ever been a tougher time on you, Ya Rasulullah, than Uhud? The battle of Uhud was very tough. We're going to talk about that weeks to come, inshallah. Was there any rougher time than Uhud? And he said, in very simple words, just briefly, he didn't go into detail with Aisha radiallahu anha. He said, Yes, from your people, meaning the Arabs, in a ta'if, I spoke to three of their men and they rejected me and said words that were hurtful. So I had to leave. He didn't say much more than that. And the ulama who speak about this incident, why he didn't say much to Aisha radiallahu anha was, Rasul didn't want to remember that trauma. He had a trauma from that situation. And he didn't want to talk about it. The first reason. So it's normal for a person 
who has been through some kind of suffering or trauma, that if they don't want to talk about something, they don't. And it probably helps them not to continue to talk about it. Because each time you bring it up, your brain continues to remember the incident and keep reliving the moment. Psychologically, it's not good to keep talking about it. You need to move on and busy your mind to get your mind busy with other things. Yes, you mourn a little bit in the beginning, you talk about it, and then you've got to move on. Secondly, the Prophet ﷺ is teaching us that the Prophets and those who follow them do not seek the pity or the sympathy of people. You don't need to complain to people and seek their sympathy. We do that on Facebook all the time in, and social media. It's like a platform for people to show everybody their emotions and wanting everybody to give them some kind of pity or sympathy or write something to them. Or... And really, nobody really cares. They write stuff and they're doing it so that everybody can look at them and, oh, look, he said something or she said something to look good. It doesn't pay. That's not how you heal yourself. But Rasul doesn't look for sympathy from people or pity. Who does a mu'min complain to? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You complain to Allah. And you can talk to really close people, but only for a little while, then you move on. Inshallah, Allah helps you. But Zayd radiallahu anhu, because he was there, he spoke a bit more detail about it. So he, he told us. And what he said was, whatever he can remember. He said, after that incident of throwing the rocks, we tried to run away from them. So we saw a little land that was, uh, that had a, a wall around it. It belonged to someone. And in those days, if you enter someone's property, you are protected. No one can touch you unless the owner of the property wants to give you it. But he also has to protect you. So it's temporary protection. He said, we sat with our backs on the wall of that garden. It had grapes in it and it had other fruits in it. And we didn't know that it belonged to one of the two chiefs of Mecca, of Quraysh themselves, Utbah and Shaybah, his brother. Utbah is the father of Hind and Shaybah her uncle. That was a big deal, man. He didn't want Quraysh to know, but that was his land. And Utbah happened to be there looking after his land. The Meccans used to grow crops and and fruit and vegetation over there in At-Tarif. But, but fortunate for the Prophet ﷺ, Utbah and Shayba, what happened to them? They felt bad for the Prophet ﷺ actually. And Utbah, to be honest with you, is normally a good man by nature. But the pride of tribalism took over. And that's the only reason why he was an enemy to the Prophet ﷺ. Utbah, was actually a wise man. But he didn't let his wisdom control him. He let the evil control him. He was such a wise man that the Prophet ﷺ actually acknowledged it in the Battle of Badr. When he told the people, he said, listen, these are our family, these are our relatives. These are, if we kill them, we're killing our own sons, we're killing our own brothers. Khalas, look, we're here, just leave him alone and let him go. And the Prophet ﷺ heard this in the Battle of Badr and he said to, his, to the companions, the, it will benefit these people to listen to that wise man. He is a wise man. He acknowledged, even to the enemy, goodness in their character. 
that teaches us Muslims to be like that too. So this man Utbah and Shayba thought, man, Muhammad وسلم, he's one of us. We can't leave him to these people who are our rivals. To mistreat him, to aib on us, it's, 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 it's embarrassing, it's shame on us. So because of the Arab pride, they gave him protection temporarily in the great one, Yah. And they had a slave by the name of Adas. This man, Adas, was a Christian, a proper Christian. And he came from Iraq. There is a city there called Ninawa. Nineveh. And he was taken as a slave. It's very far away from Mecca. Very far away. Nobody knows the Christian belief in At-Ta'if and Mecca. They, they don't know it. They don't know about prophets. They don't know about all these stories. Not like today we have the internet and people can fly and straight away give you information. Knowledge was really in the city you lived in. If you don't live in that city, you're not going to get that knowledge. And the Arabs didn't know anything of that. Thousands of years, they had no idea about prophets. They don't know anything except for Prophet Ibrahim al-Rubi, alayhi salam al-Ismail. Because of their lineage. So Adas, he's there and his master Utbah says to him, take this plate of grapes to the Prophet, to Muhammad. My brothers and sisters, just before he took the grapes, I'll tell you a reason why this happened. This was a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? There is a famous dua that the Prophet made just after they had done that terrible thing to him. You know, all the stuff that's going on in that year. And then this happens to the Prophet and now he's sitting there bleeding from head to toe. He's hit rock bottom. And he's a human himself, So we sat at that wall and Zayd says, I heard the Prophet lift his arms up and make the following dua. He said, a long dua, beautiful dua. I'll say part of it. He said, Oh Allah, who have you left me to? To a stranger who ridicules me? Or to a family member who's supposed to be my support, but instead he controls my life now, my life and death. And then he said, Oh Allah, Oh Allah, if you're not angry with me, if you're not angry with me, then it doesn't matter. All of this, I'll forget about it. I don't, I don't care. It's as if the Prophet ﷺ is saying, like what a normal human would say, Ya Allah, I don't understand. Are you angry with me? Have I done something? What have I done? Ya Allah. He's pleading to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's, he's, He's crying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like a little child cries to her, his or her mother or father. They just want their love. Have I done anything to hurt you? Have I done anything to anger you? Yeah. And then the Prophet said, You have the right, my Lord, to reprimand me and say anything you want. Tell me off. As long, as much as you want, oh, oh Allah, I accept it until you are pleased. I will accept it so long as at the end of it, you are pleased with me. I just want your pleasure. I just want your pleasure. And he said, But your ease for me, 
is more beloved to me. This shows us we are allowed as Muslims when you make dua to ask Allah, say, Ya Rabb, I, look, I, I, don't, I don't care about all this calamity so long as you are happy with me, but if you make it easy for me, take the difficulty away from me, that is it. that's more beloved to me, Ya Allah. Nothing wrong with asking Allah. There's nothing wrong with complaining. Only Allah is the one that we should complain like this to. Now, brothers and sisters, don't get this wrong. There's two ways to complain to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One is kufr, the other one is tawheed. The kufr one is when you, call, when you, when you blame Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for what has happened to you. And you question Him in a way that is arrogant. You don't accept this. Like when a person says, why me? Out of all people, why have you done this to me? What have I done to you, Ya Allah? I don't accept this, like what Iblis used to say. He said, see this one that you have made better than me? It's your fault. It's Allah's fault. This is haram, this is kufr. But when you say, oh Allah, have I done something? Have I angered you? Oh Allah, I complain to you my worries, my sorrows. To make things easy on me is, is, is more, would be better for me. There's nothing wrong with that. You cry to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like a baby. Only him. This is what a mu'min and a strong person does. And then in the end, the Prophet ﷺ said, وَلَا حَوْلَ وَلَا قُوَّةَ إِلَّا بِكَ And in the end, there is no power or might except with you, O Allah. Meaning, nothing can happen to me without your permission, O Allah, and I know this. I am in your hands. I am in your hands. As soon as he finished this dua, Addas comes along with a plate of grapes. It's not Addas, it's not Utba, it's not Shaiva, it's none of these people. Who is the one that's bringing him the plate of grapes? He's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The dua gets answered immediately, but in ways that you don't expect. The first answering of his dua is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought him a, grape, a plate of grapes. Now, a plate of grapes, you might think, oh, it's just grapes, I'm going to go to Safeway, Coles and get it. No, no, no. You see, you've got to take yourself 1,400 years ago and you've got to put yourself in that place. There are no grapes in Mecca and Medina. It never grows. You never see grapes. They used to import it from far distances. And when they imported it, they used to make wine with it and they used to sell it for great prices. And it was the most valuable thing, grapes. So to receive a plate of grapes is the most refreshing, comforting thing that one can do for you. They used to honor themselves by giving their guests grapes. It was the most luxurious and exquisite thing that someone can give. So when someone gives you grapes, it means you are safe, you are protected, it's a comfort, you are his guest. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did that to the Prophet Gave, Giving him hope, no, I have not left you. It is said, Allahu A'lam, in this time or maybe before, that Surah Al-Duha was also sent down. Your Lord has not left you alone. So my brothers and sisters, Adas gives him the, the grape, and the Prophet ﷺ puts his hands out and says, Bismillah. Which shows us that even in the hardest times, the Muslim does not forget their identity. You continue to show it, you're still proud of it. He said, Bismillah, in the name of Allah. Adas looks at him and says, what are those words? I've never heard them before. He says, it's in the name of Allah, my Lord and your Lord. And the Prophet ﷺ asked him, where are you from? He said, I'm from Ninawa. And the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, Yunus ibn Matta, the Prophet Jonah, son of Matta, 
Abdas looks at him with open eyes. He's about to cry. And he says, Who taught you this name? How do you know this name? And how do you know he's from there? I mean, you're talking about months of journey from over there to, and he's the only Christian there. Nobody will know this name. In a thousand years, they wouldn't. The Prophet ﷺ replied by saying, He is my brother, a prophet, and I am a messenger of Allah. Yunus uh, uh, Adas knew what he was talking about. Immediately he fell to the Prophet's knees and began, legs and began to kiss them. Shayba looks at his brother Utbah and says, Look, you sent your slave to look after him. And instead he put magic on him. He's converted him. We're like, bring him back. He goes and drags Adas away. And he says, What are you doing, man? Your religion is better than his. He goes, Wallahi, he is a messenger of God. No one knows this knowledge except a messenger of God. And Adas was so stubborn in following him in his deen that even in the battle of Badr, Adas was still the slave of Utbah. And Utbah was trying to get Adas to go into the battle to fight the Prophet and he still refused, even if it was death for him. This man Adas, so we consider him a Muslim. So my brothers and sisters in Islam, this is what happened there. Allah brought him grapes to comfort him. Then he brought him and told him, Look at this man, he's all the way from the other side of the world. And if they don't accept your Islam, he has accepted and believed in you. So don't worry about these people, Allah is giving you victory. Don't worry. That was a comfort. Immediate response from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But he's strengthening the Prophet He's strengthening him. Then the Prophet got up and left with Zayd when everybody else dispersed. Rasulullah said, I walked and walked until, he also said this to Aisha, he said, I walked until I didn't know where I had ended up. Suddenly I found myself in such a place. Qarn al-Tha'alib it was called though. A distance away, many kilometers away. And that shows us that the Prophet was actually in trauma. That's what happens to you when you're in trauma, you're in shock. You walk and walk and you don't realize where you're going. And suddenly you've crossed kilometers and kilometers. And then you realize how much you've walked and what you've done. Because you're in shock. There had been no, no tougher time on the Prophet ﷺ than that time. He says, I wanted, then I rested and I looked up above me and I saw a cloud. And on that cloud I saw Jibreel alayhi and he said to me, Allah heard your dua and he has sent me with the angel of the mountains. If you want, he will do anything you please for what the people of Ta'if did to you. He said, then I heard the voice, another voice of the angel of the mountains saying, Ya Rasulullah, Allah has sent me to you. Whatever you wish, I will do. If you want me to crush them between the two mountains, because that's where they were, I will do so right now, and there will be no more ta'if, it will become extinct. It will be buried. What did the Prophet ﷺ reply? He said, no. 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 If they don't embrace, not, they don't save themselves, then maybe Allah will bring from them children later on who will worship Allah alone with no partners with 
Rasulullah doesn't want his own fame. He doesn't want anything from them. He's saying later, yani after he dies, there could be children or their children's children who will worship Allah alone. Don't cut off their chances of entering paradise. And this shows you, my brothers and sisters, that he is a messenger of Allah. Because that's what a messenger of Allah does. He does not come here for fame or fortune or anything else. He's come here truly to save the people with a message from darkness into light, from hell to heaven, to Jannah. Truly he is, as Allah calls him, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ We have not sent you, O Muhammad, for any reason other than as a mercy to all of mankind. You're a mercy to the world. Now, check this out. As he was sitting there, night, night fell. Zayd went to sleep. The Prophet got up to pray tahajjud. Subhanallah, even in the hardest time, brothers and sisters, let me repeat, he has no food. He's only got one piece of clothing that is, that is drenched with blood. He hasn't bathed. He's still drenched with blood all over him. He can't. He has no home. He has no wealth. He has no mount. He has no family. He has no protection. He has no wife. Nothing. He gets up and prays to Hajjud. As he's praying to Hajjud, something miraculous happens. Something that looked like dark fog. Zayd says something like dark fog started to come near the Prophet I got up and the Prophet did this with his hand. Stay where you are. Dark fog encompassed the Prophet And after the Prophet finished his salat, the fog went away. Allah revealed this in the Quran, in Surah Al-Jinn. They were a group of jinns. Jinns. They happened to be passing by there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made them pass by there. And they said, Shh, listen. As the Prophet was reciting Quran, they said, Shh, to each other. This is, I'm just saying what Allah said in the Quran. They said, Shh. What Allah says, in another verse as well, Behold, when we made a group of jinns go past your way. And when they heard the Quran, they said to each other, Be quiet, listen. What is this? They heard the Quran and they were intrigued by it. They went back to their people and they said, Ya Qawmana, O our people, we have heard words that have never been before. It talks about Moses and like the message of Moses, which shows us that these jinns were what? Which religion? Jews. Jews. They were Jewish jinns. <laughs> you guys are not going to sleep tonight. I'm going to scare you now. Jinns, my brothers and sisters, there are, they're like us in, in the sense that they have civilizations, they have nations, they have 
tribes, they are male and female, they have uh, culture, they uh, have uh, 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 different colors and shapes and languages, different religions. And Allah mentions them in the Quran, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ I have not created the jinn and the humans for any other purpose except to worship me. So the jinns are also created to worship and they are being tested. But they were here before us. And then Allah created the humans. Then they were ordered to pray and worship and fast like us. Now, the Prophet وسلم, Muhammad وسلم, was the only one sent to the entire world, which includes the jinns. And they said, we have heard a Qur'an unzila min ba'di Musa musaddiqan lima bayna yadayn. He is talking about stuff that Moses used to speak about and it confirms it. And then they started to preach to their people, to their jinns, to follow this messenger. Ya qawmana ajibu da'i Allah. Allah says that the jinns said to their groups, they said, oh, our people, respond to the caller of Allah, it's caller to Allah, to the Messenger Not only did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relieve and show the Prophet the comfort of jinns, Allah, that, and if, the, if the humans are not accepting you, don't worry, the jinns are accepting you. Men from around the world are accepting you, just continue what you have to do and the rest is on us. Here are jinns now, what do you think of that? A life for me they can't even see. And not only did they believe in the Prophet but they also went to become messengers from the Messenger to their people. Now the jinns are being called to Islam and saved from the fire. Allahu Akbar. There are other instances where the Prophet ﷺ gave da'wah to the jinns. At least two other instances. Another one is a time when Abdullah ibn Abbas, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud himself, he says, one time the Prophet ﷺ stood up and he said, who would like to come with me to give da'wah to the jinns? And now the companions, this is all new to you, like, I saw some of your faces go pale here. Yeah? They said, you know, like, no, not, not us. <laughs> We'd rather not go. But Abdullah ibn Abbas said, I summoned some courage. I was the youngest because, you know, children, they like adventure. And you tell them, hey, something's scary. They get scared, but they still want to go there. So that he goes, I want to go with you. He said, all right, come with me. No one else volunteered. <laughs> you don't blame him. So he went, he said, he went to this near mountain and... Uh, Abdullah ibn Abbas says, the Prophet told me to sit near a tree and told me not to move. So the Prophet, peace be upon him, went. He stood up praying and then I saw black fog coming towards the Prophet I, I didn't move. And then suddenly he vanished. The Prophet I couldn't see him anymore. They were surrounding him and he couldn't be seen anymore. After he finished... Abdullah ibn Abbas uh, ibn Mas'ud saw the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He says, Ya Rasulullah, where were you? You vanished. I was looking for you. He said, don't worry. These were the jinns. Allah sent them to give them da'wah. And I was teaching them about the deen. In another narration, in Sahih Muslim as well, the companions one day got up and they, and they said, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam vanished. We, we didn't know where he went. So we thought maybe he was killed, someone had abducted him. We kept looking all day until the night. And then the Prophet ﷺ arrived. He said, where were you, Rasulullah? He said, I was giving da'wah to the jinns. And if you want, I can come and show you their remnants, what, I left, what they left behind. They went and he showed them some tents 
and he showed them some fire that they had lit up when it was extinguished. He also said, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said, that I saw the Prophet bring some bones. Bones and some uh, camel manure. Camel poo. And he said, this, when the jinns embraced Islam, they said, Ya Rasulullah, what are we allowed to eat now? Because there's halal and haram food, just like we're not allowed to eat pig, pork, for example, drink alcohol. They said, what can we eat? And the Prophet ﷺ said, the remaining food of Muslims, you eat and there's stuff that you throw out. Not, not real food, like you're not supposed to waste food. But the stuff that we can't eat, the jinns eat it. For example, bones. The jinns eat bones. We can't eat bones. Isn't that correct? So he brought him some bones and he said, this is food for the jinns and also the, the rubbish that you throw out from your food, the, the, the remainder of the Muslims, it becomes the food of the jinns. And he also said to them, and the manure of our animals becomes the food of your animals, which means that the jinns also have animals and livestock, just like us. Okay? I won't tell you more than that. Inshallah, I want you to sleep tonight. But these are jinns who are Muslim and they're good people. My brothers and sisters in Islam, so that's something that happened with the Prophet Sallallahu uh, Then he said, we arrived back in Mecca. And Zayd radiallahu he says, he's got no protection. So before we entered Mecca, the Prophet Sallallahu tried his best to seek refuge with someone. He, he sent... He sent, some, he sent a message to a few of the chiefs asking them to give him protection. Because remember, I remind you, the Arabs, if someone gave someone protection, no one's allowed to touch him. This was the law, the, the custom of the Arabs. And whoever touches someone that a clan has protected, then their tribe is humiliated forever. So they didn't want that. But unfortunately, subhanAllah, each chief of Makkah, which he sent a message to to protect him, they rejected him. He even sent to a man called Al-Akhnas, who later on became Muslim. He sent to Suhail ibn Amr, who later on became Muslim. But you can see the Prophet ﷺ sending to people who he knows they have some goodness in them. And they responded with respect, politely, we can't protect you, we just can't do it. But finally, there was one of the chiefs. His name was Mut'im ibn Adi. Remember, we talked about him before in classes that have passed. Mut'im ibn Adi, uh, Mut ibn Adi did not become Muslim. But he was a good man with great wisdom. And he, he had really good character. Even though he was not a Muslim. He was the only one that offered or accepted to give the Prophet ﷺ protection. Including his family. So he said to him, come to the Kaaba. He came and met him there and he said, you do your tawaf and come and talk to me. So the Prophet ﷺ did tawaf and Mut'im said to his sons, take your weapons, put them there and cover them. If you cover your weapons, it means that you're not there to fight, but you're there to protect. And go around with him. If anyone attacks him, defend him. Who came along? Abu Sufyan. Abu Sufyan is one of the main chiefs and he asked Mutaim, have you converted or are you protecting? He said, no, I have not converted, I'm protecting. So then Abu Sufyan said to him, we protect him, you have protected. 
meaning we won't harm. If he had converted to Islam, Mutaim was going to get killed too. And that shows us that sometimes there is a wisdom when somebody delays converting to Islam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes guides people immediately and some people a little bit later. And there's always a wisdom behind it. Mutaib ibn Adi didn't become a Muslim and didn't convert. But there was a wisdom. Allah used this situation in a wisdom to protect the Prophet It also shows us that my brothers and sisters, if a person is a kafir, a non-believer, we don't automatically cross them out and say they're evil. The kufr in them is evil. They are evil in the sense of worshipping idols or worshipping something other than God. But, generally speaking, there are among them who are naturally good people. They donate, they help, they protect. We have heard of many non-Muslims who have gone to, for example, Palestine to protect and stand up for Palestinians and their children. One of them was an American woman. Allahu alam what religion she was, but she did something that a mujahid wouldn't do, maybe. Or, yani, astaghfirullah, maybe it's very difficult for someone. She stood in front of a, a tank and it ran her over. They ran her over. Another man protecting children, a journalist, they shot him while he was... And he, there are people out there who are not Muslim, but we don't dismiss their, their goodness. For this man, Mut'im, to give you evidence, when Mut'im ibn Adi died, he died a disbeliever. And when the Prophet ﷺ went to Medina later on, and after the Battle of Badr, they took the captives, remember the prisoners? The Prophet ﷺ made a statement in support and honor of this man Mut'im, knowing that he had died a disbeliever with the enemies. He said, If Mut'im ibn Adi was still alive today and requested of me to release all these captives, I would have released them just upon his sole request. The Prophet ﷺ honored him till today. Mutab ibn Adi is honored for this. The words of the Prophet. ﷺ. My brothers and sisters in Islam, so the Prophet ﷺ was protected for a further approximately two years before he died. Mutab ibn Adi died. And the protection was gone after close to two years. During that time, the Prophet ﷺ was taken on a journey of Isra and Mi'raj. Now inshallah I'll leave this till next week, Isra and Mi'raj. But it's a really good time to talk about it now, in this month. Who can tell me why? What month is this in the Hijri calendar? Shawwal. So Isra and Mi'raj happened in Shawwal, at the end of Shawwal. Okay, so it's perfect time for us and it's really good to delay till next week because it will be approximately that time. Later in Shawwal. So inshallah next week we'll talk about the incident of Al-Isra' Al-Mi'raj and then what happened after that. Inshallah ta'ala. So I'll conclude here inshallah. Next week inshallah after Isha. Um, I wish I could do it between Maghrib and Isha though. But um, even I finish. You know, 
close to five o'clock and I wouldn't be able to make it in time. Um, and I know that a lot of brothers and sisters were complaining about it. Some people wanted it still between Maghrib and Aisha, but I, you can't please everybody. I can't. I wish I could. So for the time being, we'll do it after Aisha. And uh, it won't stay like this as the weeks go past and uh, Maghrib becomes a little bit later. Stay, st like stay tuned, inshallah. I will, I will change the time to between Maghrib and Aisha because a lot of people are still here and some people love to stay behind until Aisha. Jazakumullahu khair. Wassalamu alaykum. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. If there are any questions, I, I can stay just five minutes. If anybody has a question, can we can try and, and, and help you with that, inshallah ta'ala. It doesn't have to be related. We can, we can ask any, any question. If I, if I know it, I'll try to help you. Otherwise, I'll research and come back with the answer next week, inshallah. No question? We know everything. Yes. No need. All right. May Allah reward you, my brothers and sisters. Assalamu alaikum. Yeah, you gotta switch it off, man. It's still on, isn't it? Yeah. Just people, because when the classes stop, that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. It's cold. It's, uh, if we see, are you okay with after Maghrib still?